Well, hey there, how you doing today? Welcome back to my YouTube channel, thanks for joining me. You know there's been a lot of talk about this upcoming UAP report that the Senate Intelligence Committee has asked uh, the U.S. Department of Defense to supply to them every 180 days, and that date is coming up soon, sometime in uh, early June. And I actually think this is a highly significant event. I've been hearing and listening to a lot of discussion about this. And there are some people out there, I guess I shouldn't mention any names, but their initials begin with John Greenwald Jr., who are arguing that maybe this is just the same old, same old history repeating itself. And it's just going to be like another Condon Committee report which actually happened just up the street here in Boulder, Colorado in uh, 1969, I believe, when they recommended that Project Blue Book and the U.S. government get out of the UFO business. Uh, obviously, the Condon Committee did not look at very many cases. They certainly didn't look at the northern overflights. I mean, Rob Robert Salas, the missile control launch officer, served at Great Falls, Montana, did tell us they sent up, I think it was Rob Lowe from the Condon Committee. Uh, but they didn't have security clearances, and they certainly, I don't believe they looked at any of the missile tampering incidents, which, if you looked at them, you know, and I did another video about this not too long ago. If you looked at those incidents, there's no way you could conclude that there wasn't some, you know, defense uh, significance of these objects if they're shutting off your ICBMs 10 missiles at a time. I mean, hello. So they obviously didn't know about this or they were told not to mention it. And yes, frankly, we were all disappointed in the Condon Committee. I mean, I guess I was disappointed. I was only six years old at the time, but... <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. But I think this really could be different. I don't think this is just going to be history repeating itself. I mean, history does sometimes repeat itself, but it doesn't repeat itself in the same way. Uh, if it did repeat itself, we'd all be still living under the Roman Empire. Hello. And I haven't seen many Romans around here recently. So things do change. Uh, no one expected the Soviet Union to fall apart in uh, 1991. Um, so rapidly that, you know, it was precipitated by the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 in December. No one saw that coming. So things can actually change pretty rapidly. But the main point, what I want to say in this video is I think there are just different conditions now than there were back then in the 50s and 60s. We're not in a Cold War anymore like uh, existed at the time. There isn't that level of fear that existed at the time. And we have to remember a couple things. There were a lot of constraints on quantum physicists like Edward U. Condon uh, to kind of toe the line and stick with a very kind of conservative interpretation of quantum mechanics that didn't suggest alternate interpretations of reality. I mean, this not only affected Edward Condon, but people like David Bohm uh, were exiled from the United States. Uh, for their interest in communism at the time. And he actually didn't, I don't think he came back, for, I don't think he ever came back again. He went over to Israel and he wasn't allowed back in the United States. 
and he had an alternative uh, interpretation of quantum mechanics, you know, the pilot wave interpretation, uh, that there are these kind of higher dimensional forces that create these wave-like patterns from uh, subatomic particles. There was also Hugh Everett, who had his own interpretation of quantum mechanics in 1957. Uh, there was a lot of blowback against the multiverse idea, or at least, uh, as he called it, the relative states theory. We call it now many worlds interpretation. And Edward Condon wasn't immune to this either. Uh, he was actually a very creative and innovative quantum physicist. He's responsible for creating groundbreaking work in the idea of quantum tunneling, you know, the way subatomic particles can just jump from here to there without going through the intervening space, so-called quantum jumping. I think it's called the Frank Condon Law. He knew Albert Einstein. And uh, even so, he was uh, highly uh, persecuted by the U.S. government for his interest in quantum mechanics. But it, it didn't stop there. They actually hauled Condon in front of the House Un-American uh, Activities Committee, you know, this kind of uh, gauntlet of Congress people that would look at your political loyalty. And he was uh, accused of having communist leanings simply because he had met with a couple uh, Soviet representatives a couple times, and they linked Condon's uh, work in quantum mechanics to communism. I don't quite know how you do that, but they did it back then. Glad we don't live in that environment anymore. But they basically said, if you're interested in a revolutionary theory like quantum mechanics, you might be interested in revolutionary political theories. I know, it's ridiculous, but that's what it was like back then. Condon lost his security clearance. He was very bitter about this and very critical of the Eisenhower administration. I mean, Truman initially supported him, but uh, he lost his security clearance and he couldn't even work at Corning Glassworks after he left the government He uh, because he needed security clearance to do that sort of work. And so it's highly likely that Edward Condon had personal motivations not to disclose the UFO issue because he was already out on a limb and he probably didn't want to go any farther by admitting that this whole phenomenon was real and completely incomprehensible. Uh, that would have pushed him out even farther from the government's good graces. I think we can assume he wanted a security clearance back, and the Condon report was a way for him to kind of toe the government line. You know, he worked at NIST, which is just down the street here, National Institute of Standards and Technology. And, you know, we're told that some of the Roswell wreckage ended up at NIST. And... uh I mean, that wouldn't be surprising. It ended up all over the place, right? Patterson, Battelle Memorial Labs. But uh, Condon was the head of NIST for a while. He would have known about the Roswell crash. He worked at NIST in you know the early 50s. So he would have known about this. And I suspect that his personal motivations to want to get his security clearances back probably influenced the Condon Committee report. Keep in mind that uh, a large number of people that were on the Condon Committee quit because they felt that the data did show that there were these completely unexplainable area phenomena, UFOs up there that we couldn't explain and they should be studied. 
uh, and they quit because Condon had already made his mind up. But the Condon committee is not who completely who Edward Condon was. He actually was a very innovative quantum theorist who had a lot of support from some of the best minds in the physics community. He was pushing forward. And it's this conservatism that existed during the Cold War, especially 1950s and 1960s, that I think really held him back. So the point is, conditions are completely different now. I don't think people are under those same constraints. I think there are plenty of people who probably work in the Pentagon and the U.S. government that would like to at least admit that this phenomena is real. I mean, we've had Chris Mellon come forward and Luis Elizondo, Hal Putoff. And Hal was the one, you know, that told us that it's increasingly difficult to conceal the UFO phenomena because there's so many sensors out there picking up data. And that is the main difference between now and the 1950s and 60s. A lot more data is being collected. We've seen it from the U.S. Navy footage, from the East Coast and West Coast carrier groups in the 2004-2015 incidents with a variety of different types of objects, whatever they may be. And uh, we are told that in this upcoming UAP report from the Pentagon to the Senate Intelligence Committee that the, I think it's National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, uh, the satellite agency arm of the U.S. Uh, Defense Department is going to be sharing some of their photos, I'm sure, of many unexplainable objects and things that they can't explain. So I think what's likely to happen, I could be wrong, I think what's likely to happen is we are going to see some new evidence. I mean, this is what Hal told us, this is just so much of it, you can't conceal it anymore. He didn't get specific, but you had a feeling in that 2018 presentation uh, at Las Vegas to Irva SSE Group that he was talking about some specific things he's seen that he couldn't share because it's classified. Luis Elizondo has told us there's much, much more videos than we've seen. Didn't he initially mention like something like 20 videos? Where, where are the rest of them? And Chris Mellon wouldn't keep appearing on Fox and saying all these things unless I believe there is a lot more evidence they've seen. So I think we are going to see evidence, and I think it's likely that the government's going to come forward and say, yes, these objects are real. We can't explain them. We don't know what they are, and we don't know how they work. And that might be largely true. Could be true. Maybe someone does know, but uh, you remember that engineer who I put up a video about who told me he had handled a piece of this material said he couldn't figure it out. And if they're coming to him and several others, uh, Jacques Vallée mentioned Marcel Fogel, who worked for IBM, who is someone that we know was asked to look at these same sort of pieces of UFO unidentifiable material. Uh if these, if the Vogels and this engineer that I had the privilege to talk to for several days couldn't figure it out, then maybe no one really totally understands it yet. I mean, there could be a different point of view on it, but I think it's highly likely we're going to see new photos, new images. Now, some of it will be classified, but it has to be distilled into an unclassified form so the public can see some of it. So, I actually am hopeful we are going to see new information. Besides, back in the 50s and 60s, people like Donald Kehoe and J. Allen Hynek and other researchers at the time, even Gerald Ford pushed for those uh, congressional hearings on April 5th, 1966. 
they didn't have Twitter and YouTube. You didn't have the flow of information we have now. I think it's going to be increasingly hard to try to conceal this. And I think at some point they're just going to stop. So I think things are different. I do think history changes. And that's my point of view on it. So I just thought it would be interesting to talk about that. I'm interested to hear your comments. Put them in the box below. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next video. Take care for now and bye-bye.